Mr. Chairman, Board of the Reform Free Publishing Association, I consider it a great honor to be able to speak on your behalf tonight. The RFPA is a unique and wonderful organization, a great blessing to the church world. I'm sure that the secretary at the end of the evening will report on how the materials that the RFPA publishes are sent throughout the world and will probably, he will probably report the grateful responses of many people who have read those materials and grown in their understanding of the Reformed faith. I personally am thankful for the RFPA because of my background and my introduction to RFPA materials at the, around the age of 18 when I needed to grow in my knowledge and understanding of the Reformed faith. My growth in knowledge and understanding came from reading the Standard Bearer and the books published by the RFPA. So I'm thankful for this publishing association. I speak tonight about the importance of reading church history and have two very basic purposes in this speech tonight. One purpose is to convince you that it is important for you to know the history of the church and the saints from the past. You must know and should be interested in the history of the church that is recorded in the Bible. You must know about and be interested in the history of the church after the closing of the canon of Scripture from A.D., from the first century A.D. to today. Now, I understand that that's probably not the most important purpose of this speech, to convince you that you must know church history. But nevertheless, in our day, there is a great ignorance of church history or a lack of interest of church history in the church world. That's what I observe in my reading and writing in the, for the all around us rubric in the standard bearer. And so I believe it is important to make a case and try to convince you that knowing church history is important. The second obvious purpose of the speech is to encourage you to read, to read and to study the history of Christ's church. And I would guess that this is probably needed by you more than there is the need to convince you that church history is important. As Reformed believers, you know that church history is important. You Love the heritage of the Reformation that is yours. You desire the old paths and want to walk in the old paths. You want to keep the traditions that have been handed down to you by your fathers. So you know that church history is important. But how much time do you spend reading, digging into, the wonderful works God has performed in and through His church down through the ages. 
I don't know if this is a bold statement. I don't think that it is a bold statement. I think I could maybe make it with more authority if I was older and had more experience in the ministry. But I've heard older members say that in general, in the church today, there is not enough reading. And in particular, then, there is not enough reading of church history. So I will attempt tonight to stir up in you an enthusiasm for reading and studying the history of the church in the past. Now, Psalm 40 indicates that we cannot number the works that God has performed in and through His church or for His church. And that's true also of the reasons for reading and studying church history. I could give a hundred reasons for why it's important to read and to know church history, and I wouldn't cover them all tonight. But I'm going to ask this simple question. Why is it important to know church history and cover the reasons for why that is important under two headings? The first is because we are required to know the history of the church. We are required to know the history of the church by God. Now, I'm not saying that tonight you should feel the obligation to know every detail about the history of the church from the first century to today so that you're failing in a God-given obligation placed upon you if you don't know, for example, all about the life of St. Augustine and haven't read all of his works. But we do learn from the Bible that God requires that each generation of the church pass on to the next generation of the church the knowledge of God's law. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The knowledge of God's works in and through and for the church. Judges chapter 2. And all through the Scripture, God requires the passing on of the knowledge of the truth concerning God and salvation. We find this, for example, in Joshua chapter 5. The people of Israel could not cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River had flooded over its banks. The Lord, God of Israel, performed a mighty miracle, creating a dry path through the Jordan River for the people to, the whole nation, to pass over on the other side. And when the nation was safely on the other side, God instructed Joshua to take Twelve stones and to build a memorial. God said there's something here that needs to be remembered. There's something here that needs to be remembered by this generation. But there's also something here that needs to be remembered by the following generations. God not only instructed Joshua to set up this memorial, but he also gave a command that This memorial must be used to give instruction to the following generations. In verses 
21 through 23 of Joshua 5. God spake to the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until ye were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. The memorial that God commanded to be built, along with this command to give instruction, was God's way of saying to the people of Israel, you're required to know your history. You're required to know the history of the previous generations. Sadly, we find in Judges 2 that this generation, which was instructed to build this memorial, to give instruction to the children, failed in that calling. Judges 2 verse 10, And also that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works that he had done for Israel. This was very displeasing to God. There is a generation of children born in the covenant that don't know the works of God, do not know the history of the people of God. Now, this idea that one generation is required to pass knowledge down to the next generation is found also in the New Testament. I've been preaching a series of sermons on 1 Timothy and the Peace Congregation. And in that letter, Paul, the Apostle, addresses Timothy as his spiritual son. Paul had trained Timothy for the ministry. He had committed unto Timothy the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Here was one generation passing down the truth to the next generation. Then in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul instructs Timothy and tells him, now you're required to do what I did for you. You're required to take what I've committed to you and you're required to give that to the next generation. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul wrote to Timothy, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The idea is that each generation commit the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, the truth concerning God's works in and through the church to the next generation over and over again until the coming again of Jesus Christ. The truth that each generation of the church knows and confesses comes from, is rooted in, 
the generation prior. If the church today will know and confess the truth, and that's what we want, then she must know and confess the truth that the church confessed before. And if the church today will be sure that what she knows and confesses today is the truth, she must constantly look back, study the past, compare the present to the past, and make sure, oh, there's development to be sure, there's the work of reformation, there's the purification of the truth, but the same truth that they confessed the truth we confess today. God requires the knowledge of what the church confessed and went through before in the past because of the oneness of the church. We confess the oneness, the unity of the church, which is a glorious attribute of the church. A glorious attribute that refers to the oneness of the people of God today. The oneness between Jews and Gentiles, men and women who share in the same faith. But now tonight we need to recognize that the oneness of the church also describes the oneness of the church today with the church of days gone by. We must know the truth that was confessed by Abraham and David and by the apostles in the New Testament and by Athanasius and by St. Augustine and by Calvin and Luther and by Hendrik de Koch and Simon van Velzen and by the church in the days of Hermann Huxma and George up off. We need to know our past. And that each generation will not forget, and must not forget, but remember the truth, is one of the purposes of our Reformed confessions and the other confessions we have, the ancient confessions of the church. The Word of God requires that we know the history of past saints. So do our confessions. Now I could demonstrate that by going to our confessions and finding in the confessions instruction that commands us to pass on our heritage to the next generation. But I want to point out that the confessions require this of us. Because that's one of, not the only, but one of the purposes of the confessions of the church. The early church decided, almost from the beginning of church history, we need to summarize the teachings of Scripture. We need to declare in these summary statements what the Bible teaches. And the purpose of this is so that we will have a way 
to ensure that what we confess and know today is what our children will know and their children will confess and know in the future. The church grew up, drew up the confessions then, in a sense, to say to the church of today, here is the truth of God that you need to know. Here is the truth that we confess. This is the truth that we fought for. This is the truth that we fed on. This is the truth that we even died for. Now this is the truth. Children, you need to know, to feed on, to defend and confess. Because this truth is the truth of God and the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ. The knowledge of the church in the past or of church history is required also of every member of the church by our baptism form and by our form for confession of faith. The second question that parents are asked when they present their children for baptism is, whether you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testament and in the articles of the Christian faith and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and perfect doctrine of salvation. That is basically the same wording of the first question put to every person who makes public confession of faith in the church. The question is not merely do you know and believe the Old and New Testament Scriptures, but do you know and believe the articles of the Christian faith taught in this church? Now, in order for the parents who present their children for baptism to give an honest affirmative answer to that question. And in order for the often young person who makes confession of faith to give an honest, affirmative answer to that question, it is required of them that they know this church, her history and her doctrines. Parents are required to give instruction about the history of the church and her doctrines to the children. The third question is, will you see to it that they are instructed in these things? And that's why I say the knowledge of church history isn't important for the ministers in the congregations or the professors in the seminary or for certain learned members of the congregations, every member, every member, all the children must be taught. And when they make confession of faith, everyone who makes confession of faith must be able to say, I know something about this church and what she teaches and her history. Why must we know 
church history. It's required of us by God, by our confession, and by the unity of the church in every age. We look at that negatively. The importance of knowing church history is that if we don't, then we will be cut off, separated from the church in the past, which is the true church of Jesus Christ, which means that if we're separated from it and go another direction, we're separated from the true church of Jesus Christ. The name church means nothing to any denomination of churches that does not know and does not hang on to, keep, stick to the traditions, the truth of the church in the past. The church that cuts itself off from the church in the past and forms, follows rather new paths deserves the name of, if not false church, falling church. In order for us to be able to say we stand as the true church of Jesus Christ, we need to be able to say we know that we stand with the saints who have gone before It is required that we know church history and then therefore read church history. But now there are many other reasons for why we need to know church history. And I'd like to cover some of them under this heading. It is for our benefit to know church history. It is for our benefit to know the history of the church because when we know it, when we dig into the history of God's people in the past, we are given the opportunity to see the wonderful works of God. And we can say, as the psalmist does in Psalm 40, verse 5, Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. And thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. What's the benefit of reading Exodus? Is it not this? That you see the wonder work of God leading His people through the Red Sea on dry ground? And isn't the benefit of reading in the Old Testament about the crossing of the Jordan that you see the mighty miracle of God leading His people into the promised land of Canaan by His sovereign grace, by His sovereign power, making a way through that river of dry ground? But we can say, that we see the mighty works of God not only when we look at the Scriptures and see the miracles of God, but also when we study God's work of defending and preserving and maintaining His church down through the ages. 
Where did Athanasius come from? At a time when it looked like the church would be swallowed up by the heresy of Arius, who denied the divinity of Jesus Christ. A time when there was a man needed. God raised up Athanasius. That's what we see when we study that history. To stand against the world, contra mundum, there was Athanasius raised up by God. Who raised up St. Augustine to develop and defend the doctrines of grace over against the hellish doctrines of Pelagius and preserve those doctrines for us today? God did that. And who raised up Luther to deliver us? To deliver us today yet from the bondage of the Roman Catholic Church and from all of the corruptions in the false doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. God did that. And who raised up John Calvin? Who furthered the Reformation? Who systematized for us the truth of the Word of God and, and purified more the worship of the church, which was much needed? God did that. What do we see when we study the needed reformation of the church and the Oscuiting of 1834? What do we see when we study the history of the Protestant Reformed churches? 1924, 1953, we see the wonderful work of God preserving His church. The second benefit for us of studying church history, and now under this heading, I thought about saying we learn many lessons from the past. Many, many lessons. Now all that we need to know, we can learn from the Word of God. Go to Scripture, which is the rule for faith and life in the church of Jesus Christ. But when... We study church history. We have the benefit of being able to see how the people of God who share the same faith, have the same Lord, interpreted Scriptures, lived the Scriptures, used the Scriptures, so that we can learn lessons from them. And one of the lessons that we learn from church history and that makes studying church history important is a lesson about combating heresy, false doctrine. Just as the truth is handed down from generation to generation so that the understanding of the truth grows in an organic way, so the lie, false doctrine, is handed down from generation to generation. It's Really the same lie. It's just that today it's a bit more refined. But the fact is that if we study church history and see how the church dealt with heresy in the past, that will better enable us to deal with the heresies, the false doctrines that arise today. How important that is for the church today. With all of the false doctrines that are being taught 
and all of the churches that are blown about by every wind of doctrine. We can learn from church history, for example, how to deal with the error of or the heresy of the federal vision. The federal vision is a development of many errors, but for our sakes tonight, I want to point out that it is a development of the Arminian heresy. The Arminians in the time of Dort taught a conditional salvation, and they denied all of the doctrines of grace. This is what the federal vision is doing today. It's teaching conditional salvation in its conditional covenant doctrine. And as I believe has been clearly shown in Standard Bear and other RFPA materials, the federal vision is a denial of all of the doctrines of grace. And as Protestant Reformed churches, in our battle against the heresy of the federal vision, we've been able to reach back to that history of our Reformed fathers at the time of the canons of Dort, and we've been able to use that to refute and condemn the federal vision. Their conditional salvation was condemned. There, all of the doctrines of grace were upheld. And now we're able to say, Whatever heresy comes along, no matter how refined it is, no matter how much it has developed so that it's very deceptive, and the federal vision is that, we can say, if that teaching teaches conditional salvation, if that teaching denies the doctrines of grace, then that teaching is to be condemned. And I firmly believe that if churches today would do two things, study the history of the canons of Dort, and then study also our Protestant Reformed history, especially the history of 1953, and learn from it, they would be able to put to death that heresy of the federal vision. But the study of church history does more than help the church fight the old errors that appear today in new clothing. The study of church history teaches the church about other pitfalls to avoid. The study of church history teaches the church today she must not neglect church discipline. In my writing for all around us, it's no surprise that in this day of apostasy, much of what I write about is about some sad decline in the church, even in the Presbyterian and Reformed church world. And often, although I don't always write about this in every case, but in every case, almost without exception, a contributing factor to the decline, if not the factor, is that there has been a failure to exercise Christian discipline. Discipline is not done, and the consequences are disastrous. That's why we're seeing 
the spread of much evil in the church today. The theory of evolution has supplanted the truth about creation. Women's ordination has been adopted by many churches that once were conservative. And now the church world is accepting homosexuality as normal. And churches are overrun with these evils. Why? Here's a lesson we need to learn from ancient church history, but also recent church history. There was a time in all of those churches, those denominations, when there were only a few people who were promoting the evil. But instead of taking those people in hand, rebuking them, and if necessary, because of impenitence, excommunicating them, they wrung their hands, no discipline was done, and the evil has spread. The study of church history warns us not to neglect and teaches us The church must be faithful in upholding the mark of exercising Christian discipline. The study of church history is also a benefit to the church today because it warns us that unity is never to be sought at the expense of the truth of the gospel. The church again today needs to learn this. The church today needs to learn that compromise despicable, that the truth must be upheld at all costs. The attitude of the day is let's emphasize our agreements. Let us ignore our differences. Evangelicals, Presbyterian and Reformed men are willing to take that attitude even with regard to That false church known as the Roman Catholic Church. They say in a document like Evangelical and Catholics Together, or like the Manhattan Declaration, we can stand with the Roman Catholic Church on some things. Not on the gospel. Not on the gospels of grace. But we can stand with them against some of the evils of our society. We can stand with them, for example, against the evil of abortion and against the evil of seeking to redefine marriage in order to allow same-sex marriages. But the gospel is let go and compromised when that attitude is taken The battle against same-sex marriage is being lost. The battle against the evil of abortion is probably lost. But we, in studying church history, in seeing the truth of God that He has preserved in every generation, ought to see that that's not as bad 
that this is worse to lose the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. The study of church history has these and many other lessons to teach us. But then thirdly, the benefit of knowing the history of the church is that it gives us the strength and the courage to be convicted of the truth that we believe. The church needs today, too, more conviction of the truth. Not pride. That's not what conviction is. Not pride that says we have the truth. We know the truth. Therefore, we are above you. But a conviction that is a love for the truth, a conviction that says, I know the truth of the word of God. I know this truth as it has been handed down to me by my fathers. And I won't give up this truth. I will defend this truth. That's much needed today. We live in a postmodern age, an age of relativism in which people believe that there is no truth, and that seems to have some influence on the church today, too. People from Reformed backgrounds can write about issues as if there may be a truth for you about creation, but you need to be open to the fact that what somebody else believes maybe rejecting the historicity of Genesis 1 through 3, that that may also be true. And we are often told in the Protestant Reformed churches, you may be convinced that common grace is an error. But that's all right. You may hold to that view, but now you should be open to others who believe that common grace is the truth. You should allow other people to have unity with you who do not, who do accept and believe in common grace. We need to learn the conviction of Athanasius, the conviction of Calvin and Luther and Decock and Huxima. I believe that this is important, that we study church history so that we may have the courage to have that conviction. We are a tiny denomination in the Protestant Reformed churches. We don't have the numbers on our side. There are many who do not believe what we believe. And that fact may cause us to waver in our conviction. And then, looking at the history of the church and seeing the long line of saints who have now gone into heaven with whom we stand, we have the encouragement, the comfort of knowing we confess same truth as the saints in the ages before. The wonderful benefit of studying church history.
to see that we have a cloud of witnesses cheering us on in our battle for the faith and confession of the faith. But then the fourth benefit and the last benefit for us of studying church history is that it enables us to see more of the beauty of the truth of God's Word. The church's knowledge or her confession of the truth grows. The church must not study church history in order to look back at the past and to sort of immortalize the past as if Everything that the church has done before is set in stone and there's nothing new for the church today to do or to see. I'm convinced that there are some who believe that the development of the church's confession ended in the days of the Reformation when the Reformed creeds were written. This is why we sometimes have the charge lodged against us that Some of our teachings are extra-confessional. Maybe you've heard that charge. We must not be discouraged by that charge. We ought to notice in the first place that the charge is not that anything we teach is contrary to the confessions. And we ought to recognize that that charge means that we haven't stayed in the past, but that we've continued to study the truth, to study what the church taught in the past, and Now we see, by the grace of God, more, more beauty in the truth of God's Word. We see, when we study church history, theological giants. And when I say that we understand more clearly see more the beauty of God's truth, that doesn't mean that we have any more ability or that we have attained to any more spirituality than they, but it simply means that because we are rooted in that those that truth of the past, and because that truth organically develops, we have the privilege today of seeing not only the roots, the stem, but now the blooming, the blossoming of the truth of God's Word. Church history shows us that it is important for the church to know her past, to stay committed to her past, so that she may not only hold on to the truth, but see more. Take, for example, our Canons of Dort. Our Canons of Dort are a further explanation of some of the truths found in the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic Confession. Which two confessions were under a severe attack by the Arminians? God used that heresy to produce the Canons which shed more light on the doctrines of grace. The point is this. If our fathers had forgotten or turned away from the past, there would be today no canons of Dort. 
The Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic Confession are, as it were, the stem and the leaves of the beautiful petals of the five points of Calvinism. And that means that we are very privileged to be alive today and part of Christ's church today. Our heritage is rooted in the past. Everything we have today is the development of what we've received from our fathers in the past. But John Calvin never knew the canons of Dort. And though he taught us the doctrines of grace, he didn't understand God's sovereign particular grace the way we do today, having come out of the controversy of common grace. And though he did teach the covenant of God, he did not have the privilege that we have today because of our history and the development of our confession of seeing that beautiful truth that God's covenant is an unconditional, unbreakable bond with His people in Jesus Christ. This makes reading church history exciting. When you read the history of the church in the past, you not only have the pleasure of seeing all of the beauty of the truths that the church confessed before. Just look at the confessions. The Apostles' Creed the Nicene Creed, and all of our Reformed confessions. But maybe the Spirit of Truth will give you the ability to see some beauty that has not been seen before. Do you want to see more of the beauty of God and His grace in Jesus Christ? Study the history of the church in the past. Read. And the last thing that I will say is this. Read the books on church history published by the RFPA. Dig into them. The beauty of God's wonderful works. The beauty of the truth we confess. It's there. Obtain those books. Read them. Thank you for your time.